0: J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off.
1: past people might have told you two or three months salary. Uh, That's considered kind of old school knowledge um, and something that not uh, sort of everybody abides by. Uh, But there are other people who find just tremendous comfort in having some sort of guideline like that. It really depends. And listen, there are some people who the ring is everything and they're okay with a more modest wedding Uh, and vice versa. There are other people who are much less focused on the ring and and maybe want to buy a house someday soon.
0: Hey, welcome back to Everyone's talking Money. I am your host, Shauna Game, and love is in the air for this episode. Getting engaged can be a stressful time and a very expensive time. When do you propose? Who proposes to whom? How much money should you really spend on an engagement ring? What if you've never really talked about money before? These are just a few questions that our guest, Kat McCoy, a hopeless romantic, and the owner of Best Kept Jewelry Concierge and Proposal Prep is here to help you with. I share this story in the episode, but when I got engaged, my husband, Jeff, we mutually bought the engagement ring. I picked it up myself. And then when I got home, I put it on the counter. And Jeff was like, okay, so what am I supposed to do with this thing? And I was like, I don't know. I guess you're supposed to propose. We laugh about it now, but the dynamics of the engagement process even though it's exciting, can be stressful and anxiety-filled. So in this episode, Kat is breaking down the narrative around who should propose to whom, whether your engagement ring really is an investment, and some important love and money questions to ask your future spouse before you walk down the aisle. So before jumping in this episode, I would love to invite you to help Everyone's Talking Money reach more people. You can do so by subscribing or following the show, leaving a review if you haven't done so already, and sharing the show with your friends. Also, hey, if we aren't email friends yet, head to the link in the show notes to get on our email club list. Every Tuesday, I send out a short money tip and lots of other great behind-the-scenes things, money advice, and all sorts of things to help you stress less. You can find that link right in the show notes. All right. Let's start talking about getting engaged. We're talking about getting engaged. And I know this is a really stressful time, I think, for both partners, no matter who's proposing and who's on the other side, right? There's a lot of like anxiety and nerves. And am I doing this right? And what if it's not what they want? Or what if they don't say yes, right? There's a lot of questions. Uh, you know, and, and and also, you know, who's gonna buy the engagement room? Who pays for the wedding? Like there's a lot of money questions that are involved in this process. And I think, you know, it's it's awesome that you're out there helping navigate couples through these really important questions and helping them, you know, figure out how to how to deal with these really stressful situations. What would you say are like some of the trickiest questions that you think people need to talk about before they get into the proposal process
1: absolutely. I think the the very first thing that comes to mind is this idea of timing. Um, typically, in an old school fashion, the person proposing would be in full control of the timeline of when you'll get engaged, um, but as Modern relationships evolve. Uh, Couples are typically living together uh, before they get engaged as well. Um, The question of on whose timeline are we on, I think, becomes a a really important one.
0: (laughs) All right, exactly. It's so interesting because, uh, you know, I have a couple of friends who recently have got engaged and it feels like there's always one partner who is just waiting and, and thinking, when is the other partner going to, going to propose? Like, when is it going to happen? And they're just, you know, almost like so fixated on the timeline that, you know, everything else, um, like they can't think about anything else except like this timeline. It's, it's so interesting.
1: You know, you're exactly right. There often can become a power imbalance uh, between the two parties. And it's much bigger than just the proposal. Uh, for some people, it's I want to have children. And that sort of uh, pervasive biological clock, of course, can be... <laughs> A real thing um, for other people, they'd like to book a specific wedding venue, and if you don't lock it in, maybe you're you're pushing until a twenty twenty five wedding. So there's a, a lot of different components to to that, and um, navigating that can be really challenging.
0: So how do you suggest couples navigate these awkward conversations? Like what do you do if the tensions start to boil up? around, you know, when we're going to get engaged? Like specifically, I think if one partner has a timeline, that's very different from the other partner. I think being able to come to the table and feel like
1: both people really have an equal seat at the table. The proposal prep box that I developed, there is a custom card game. Essentially, with some really fun icebreakers. So, there are some kind of flirty questions to tee you up. And then there are some questions that get down to the nitty gritty. Uh, for instance, you know, true or false, it's important you speak to my family before you propose. True or false, 12 months is the perfect amount of time to be engaged. So, it allows you to bring up topics that you might be bashful to bring up or ask each other questions that never even occurred to you.
0: I like that a lot. I often, uh, Talk about, you know, question session when you're talking to your partner about money too. Because if I think if you come at it from this question and like very inquisitive perspective, it does take the tensions down. I think it also helps it feel less judgmental. So, you know, when when somebody's answering that question, it could be like, oh, well, that's interesting. You think that's true or false? Like, why do you think that? You know, and I think there's a way to like bridge these conversations. Do you have any other, are there any other like hot questions in there that like couples just love?
1: Um, From an engagement ring perspective, because I work in jewelry, it's a little bit engagement ring focused. One of the questions is to what extent are you open to input on the engagement ring? How involved do you want to be? I think that's a really important question. Uh, The purpose of the box is to not by any means eliminate all mystery and romance. It's how how to right size it for you guys as a couple. And so um, I love what you said about not being judgmental. It, it's so dependent on on each couple. I work with some couples where both parties are deeply involved in the ring buying process. Everyone knows what everyone spent. Um, and then I work with other couples who would be so embarrassed to know what their partner spent on a ring. Um, so the box is not meant to be prescriptive. It's just sort of meant to help you figure out what's right for you guys. And to be fun, right? To have fun is the number one thing. I, I'm, I'm so happy you said that. And in terms of the, the game, the card game, making it a game instead of um the, the original version, candidly, was uh, a questionnaire. And when I spoke to particularly to the people who were meant to be proposing, when I said form or questionnaire, they completely shut down. And so I, I went back to the drawing board and I thought, how can we make this feel more like a game? Um, So I think that's an excellent point.
0: I love that. You know, it's just like, it's. I always remind people this process is supposed to be enjoyable. Like even you know when you you think about like I don't know I'm stereotyping here but like bridezillas or you know you you get up to that wedding date and you're you're so stressed out and you're panicky or whatever it might be. It's it's I'm always reminding people like this is supposed to be fun. Like this is supposed to be one of those good pieces of life that you really want to just enjoy and and embrace it and not be so just like fixated, you know, on everything being right. And I think that we could pull that back to the engagement process too, right? Like there's such a narrative that the engagement has to be this like amazing spectacle and it has to be something of the legends. And for a lot of people, that's not what they want, you know? And, And so I think, thinking about it from that perspective is really important. I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I
1: think what you're talking about is the proposal itself. The period of time that I've become just sort of obsessed with it in recent years is what I call pre-engagement, that time from when you know you've met the right person to when you actually get engaged. And I think that's when a lot of those really like an emotionally rich power dynamics are coming up. Um, to your point, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff around money, uh, a lot of stuff about power and, and whose timeline we're on and, and who gets a say. Um, but the whole purpose of, of what I do is to really make the process of getting engaged in that period of pre-engagement uh, more joyful and less stressful.
0: Wow. Power dynamics. I hadn't even thought about it from that perspective, but that's very true. <laughs> that's a head-scratcher. Uh, so let's talk about the actual proposal process. You know, I, again, I think your your expertise is in engagement rings and there's a lot of hinting that goes on on, you know, what you want or what you don't want. And I think, you know, again, it, it's um, trying to figure out what, what to spend and what not to spend. You know, why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for ultimately like this piece of jewelry? There's, of course, the tradition component. I think it's something that
1: perhaps your mother wore. Um, you've seen some of your friends get engaged Uh, my kind of armchair theory is the rise of Instagram. I feel is directly correlated to the importance of the engagement ring. I think we live in such a visual time and there is this expectation that, um, the ring will be posted and that's certainly not right for everyone, but across the board, I have found that, um, engagement rings do feel kind of big and important. And I think part of that is because, um, we do live in such a visual time.
0: Hmm. Instagram, I swear. The gram. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so much pressure. Well, it's interesting. I, um, I'll be married, uh, 10 years and, um, we as a, a couple, this was our, our second marriage. And so we weren't putting so much pressure on who was going to buy the ring or, or the formalities that, you normally follow in, you know, a first marriage if you will. Like we had a pre-honeymoon where we went on vacation before we actually got married. And so we just kind of broke tradition all the way around. And I actually knew somebody in the jewelry business and, you know, we decided we'll we'll put our resources together and she actually had a a, a like a vintage kind of secondhand ring that I that I really loved and you know, so I, I was the one who actually went out and purchased the ring and I brought the ring home. And my husband always jokes about this because I put the ring on, um, like the dining room table. And I was like, okay, here's the ring. Like now do something about it. <laughs> and he was like, wow. Okay. Well, like, no pressure there. You know, And I would, I was merely saying like, okay, we have this ring now, you know, whenever we want to have the proposal, but I still laugh at myself now because I think, well, I could have been the one that proposed. Like, it didn't have to just be him, you know, and we both purchased the ring. So it wasn't like, um, you know, it, it's just so interesting, I think, to to really dissect the process. And, you know, I always encourage couples, like, don't be afraid to, like, break the narrative or to change the story.
1: I think your example is such a perfect example of breaking the narrative because you felt empowered to go out and select a ring for yourself. And yet it sounds like there was some part of you that wanted to be proposed to, and there's nothing wrong with that either. And so um, I think there is absolutely a spectrum of traditional, -traditional, non-traditional, and it's just so interesting and exciting to me when a couple really walks their own path.
0: I like that. Well, this is a money podcast, so let's talk about the the money side of buying an engagement ring. You know, what should we know before we buy an engagement ring?
1: The, perhaps the what which should be comforting, but maybe also a little frustrating, is from a budget perspective, there is such a tremendous range. I can tell you that the average engagement ring in the United States costs about six thousand dollars um but you know you can certainly buy one for far less and you can buy one for a lot more as well. Uh so doing your research and having a good understanding of of budget based on what you're looking for I think can be really important. I am engaging uh concierge side of my business. The one one thing I can't do for you or the one question I can't answer for you is is what's the right budget? Um it's incredibly personal. Um, I think in the past, people might have told you two or three months' salary. Uh, that's considered kind of old school knowledge um and something that not uh, sort of everybody abides by. Uh, but there are other people who find just tremendous comfort in having some sort of guideline like that. It really depends. And listen, there are some people who the ring is everything and they're okay with a more modest wedding uh, and vice versa. There are other people who are much less focused on the ring and and maybe want to buy a house someday soon. So- um at the time that you're getting ready to get engaged you might also be considering the cost of the wedding uh buying a home together there's a a lot of kind of life events uh juicy life events that kind of coincide uh with really sort of choosing your partner
0: and i love that because those are lots of things you don't think about it's like somehow you just have a um you know a blank like all you can see is um you know the the proposal and um yeah yeah you're not thinking about like all of the things that kind of come down the line or might be coming down the line and I it's it's really interesting I love that you encourage couples to kind of think about those things so okay so in terms of the actual ring uh you know there's all these these the four Cs and all of those things that we've kind of heard over and over again if we were to spend our money on you know, on one thing, like, are we looking for, you know, a good quality stone or diamond? Or is it more important if the band is all gold or platinum? Or, you know, are there any tips you can give us kind of in that direction? Absolutely. So as you think about the four C's,
1: it's really important to start with style and look-wise what you want and sort of back into what's important. I say that because, for instance, an emerald cut diamond, which has become very popular, clarity is going to be much more important for an emerald cut stone than it would be for a more brilliant cut stone like an oval or a round. So depending on the diamond shape, the different four C's matter more or less. And so being able to start from a place of this is what I think is really beautiful and this is what I feel really comfortable in um, can kind of help you determine where to prioritize. Uh, I work with some couples who... It's really, really important to them that the color is a incredibly bright white. Um, other couples are looking for a size. And so they're willing to go down in in components like color and clarity to optimize for carrot. So it's very personal and it also depends on on the the shape of the diamond. From a setting perspective, I think you always want to be conscious of of the craftsmanship and how the setting was made. Um 14 carat actually is is um is a fantastic option. It's going to be a little bit more affordable than going with platinum. Uh, 14 karat gold. Really? It's, why,
0: is, why is that?
1: Um, it has um, just the, the gold content and the uh, mix of alloys and metals is different. Mm, okay. um, 14 karat gold is stronger than platinum. Um, so platinum will sort of patina with time and it's a little bit of a softer metal. Uh, whereas 14 karat is a little bit stronger. Um, so I think that's a fantastic way to to save a few bucks and also sort of protect the setting. Uh, but there are some people who, uh, you know, platinum is just incredibly classic and maybe that's what their, their mom wore and that's what they feel strongly about.
0: What about other gems? Are there any other like popular stones that, that people are buying besides diamonds these days? Absolutely.
1: Colored gemstones um, continue to be a really fantastic way to to wear something a little bit more unique. Uh, so a blue sapphire, I think, is still really classic and, and timeless for an engagement ring, an emerald as well. The thing to understand about a, a green emerald is it's a bit of a softer stone than a diamond. And so if you're someone who works with her hands, his or her hands, if you, um, uh, it's sort of a know thyself moment. If you, um, depending on what you do for work, an emerald might not be right for you just because it is more likely to, to chip.
0: Hmm. Okay. And I've also seen like diamond alternatives. I can't think of the name right now. Is it, Um, does it start with an M? Moissanite. Moissanite. Okay. Yes. Uh, w- Tell me about those. Yes. Yeah, so those have become quite popular as well. Uh, without a doubt,
1: a moissanite is going to be much more affordable than a natural mine diamond. What's become very, very popular even just in the last couple of years, has been lab-grown diamonds.
0: Mm, and so wow. um
1: it's a really, really interesting conversation to have because a lab-grown diamond has the exact same chemical composition as a diamond that's mined from the earth. It's made using high pressure and high temperatures, but instead of high pressure and high temperatures in the ground, there's high pressure, high temperatures in the laboratory. And so you need a special piece of testing equipment to be able to tell the difference. The the main difference between a mine diamond and a lab-grown diamond is um resale value. Um, okay. Lots of laboratories have opened in recent years and so the price of live of lab growns continues to just sort of plummet. Um and so if this is something that, you know, you're going to have forever, pass it down the family, you don't care about sort of thinking of it as an asset, then with the lab grown your money and your budget is certainly going to stretch further.
0: Do people really like do they resell their engagement rings? Does that happen a lot? Um it depends. I think some
1: people think towards do I want to upgrade in the future? I think other people really do think of it as an asset in their portfolio and they want to know that they're making a smart investment that's gonna maintain its value over time, regardless of whether or not they plan on on selling.
0: Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. I I'm interested about that because you talk about the the ring as an investment. How how do, how do we think of the ring as investment or how does it become an investment for us? So as we think about sort of the natural
1: diamond market, prices have remained and the market has remained pretty strong and has remained pretty consistent. And so, you know, that is very promising. Uh, different trends and styles and shapes come in and out of favor. Um, so antique cut diamonds for a while were uh, seen as less expensive than uh, more of the modern brilliant cuts. Um, antique cuts have sort of become back in favor. And so the price of those have, have continued to rise. Um, and um you know, oval cut diamonds are incredibly popular. They were less so, you know, even five or 10 years ago. So if you were early on ovals, that was an incredible investment. Uh, for most people with something as sentimental and romantic and um as special as an engagement ring, that's not the only lens uh, by which they're assessing their purchase. But, you know, this is a money podcast and you want to make a smart investment.
0: I honestly would use Ernan in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas. It will really help the show. Talking money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Okay, listen, like many of you out there, I love Notion, our sponsor today. And I honestly use it every day for my notes and journaling. I also track our family expenses and I manage all of our household to-dos. Notion has been such a lifesaver in helping me get a lot more organized because that's not one of my strengths without stressing me out. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but getting inspired. Notion is the AI-powered workspace that can summarize things like meeting notes and automatically generate action items and help you get answers to questions in seconds. It will honestly blow your mind. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, you're a freelancer, you're starting a startup, or you're a student juggling classes and clubs, or you're somebody like myself that just really wants to get organized. Try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash ETM. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash ETM, and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you are supporting our show, Notion.com slash ETM. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. And now listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. All right, Kat, we're gonna play your relationship with money is game. First question: if you were to describe your relationship with money as a cartoon character, who would it be? Hmm.
1: Um I've I've heard this on other episodes of yours, and every time I'm like, I have no idea what I would say. Um, <laughs> um, I think Bugs Bunny, um, because there are times when you probably should uh, more deeply assess, but I just want to keep moving forward.
0: <laughs> That's great. Question number two, when you think about money, are your thoughts mostly positive or negative?
1: My thoughts are mostly positive. I, um, I've been doing a lot of mindset work this year, trying to be in that abundance mindset. And um, I know it sounds a little woo-woo, but it's so powerful. And um, I just find I can feel happier and, and sort of experience money with a little more lightness in that
0: way. If you were granted one money wish, it could be anything. What would your wish be? My one money wish would be
1: every time I go to lunch or dinner with a friend, the, the check gets paid for. Um, that to me is the ultimate. Is being able to treat a friend to lunch or dinner is just uh, the ultimate indulgence. And If some sort of wizard just every time you went to lunch with a friend paid for it, uh, that, that would be my wish.
0: I like that one. I could get on board with that. All right, last question. What is one money secret you have that maybe you don't talk about often? Yes. So I would say
1: one money secret of mine was my very first year in business. Um, I have been really fortunate. I've only worked with really honest partners. I, um, I got taken by a fraudster on a Rolex watch and I felt so much shame about being tricked and, um, it ended up. You know, it was a big kick in the gut. It cost me several thousand dollars. It's a lesson I will, uh, you know, I vowed I would only learn once, but it was a really shameful experience it, not to only lose that money, but to feel like um, I wanted to make the sale so badly that I didn't take all of the necessary precautions.
0: That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time or just relax to a good book, Relax and get lost in the Daily Book Club.
1: Hi, I'm Karina Bemisdurfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And
0: remember, stay safe. I'm also thinking, you know, outside of like same sex couples, I'm wondering, are you seeing more women propose to men? Like are you seeing an uptick in that trend at all?
1: Anecdotally, not as much, but um, but I read about it quite a bit. And listen, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, we keep talking about relationship dynamics. So am I, and how you know, I, a lot and changing. Of my, uh, and so um, friends are between
0: you and me, really I'm a little
1: surprised particular that and, uh, we haven't seen it. You know, no that.
0: judgment, good way. But very particular about what they want and how they want the proposal process to go and and the ring they want and you know, all of that. And so, like we were saying before, like so fixated on making sure that, you know, their fiance, future fiance knows like exactly what they want, but then also like terrorized that they're not gonna do certain things. And I've often said, like, well, why don't you be the one that proposes? Like if you have an exact idea of what you want. Like there's nothing wrong with the woman or er, proposing. And I think it's so interesting that we still sometimes get hung up on those um, you know, sort of gender stereotypes, if you will, that it absolutely has to be the the man proposing. And there's nothing wrong with with any which way you do this. I would just, you know, encourage anyone listening, like if you, if you're feeling that way, like I say go for it. I think it's a really interesting story to have.
1: I hear you. The Proposal Prep Box that we've developed, I think, also offers you, if you are quite particular, which a lot of people are, it allows you an opportunity to to really tell your partner what you want and to make it a little bit more collaborative as well. Um, I love to recommend, if you're open to it, that couples go to a local jewelry store and try on options together. The best thing you can do is see different things on your hand um, you can see think something's really beautiful, but on your own hand, it just sits a little bit differently. Of course, the shape of your fingers. Um, and so it's a really nice way to be able to say, hey, I really like that second ring. What did you think about it? It becomes a little bit more collaborative that way. And as we think about you know that pre-engagement journey, there's different parts in the journey where you can kind of exit the process. So uh, a common route that a lot of my clients take is they will go to a jewelry store together, Try on a few options. She might say, "I really liked A, B, and C. Did not like D, E, and F." This is my input. Run forth and, and prosper. And, and it's sort of a nice way of doing it because there's still a little bit of that mystery of romance. If they're interested, if the person buying the ring is interested in expressing themselves a little bit, there's a little bit of room to to make a final call or decide between the, the few options they teed up. Um, but there are different uh, sort of exits you can, different ramps you can exit throughout the process depending on your your appetite for that.
0: I like that. Yeah, cuz I was wondering, you know, do you, do you suggest like couples go through the actual buying process together? But I like that there are different off-ramps that you can get off, you know, depending. And also you can be okay that you go through like my husband and I, we went through the whole process together. We both knew exactly what we were purchasing and you know there wasn't necessarily a surprise element, but it, that part wasn't important to me. I I know that that, you know, is also important to to a lot of other people. I you, you mentioned some, you know, ways that we could kind of save money if the budget's really tight. But I'm wondering if you have any other suggestions or ideas if, you know, we don't have, I think you said the average is like $6,000. So if that isn't something that is accessible to us, are there any other ways that we can kind of cut down on some of the costs, but still have something special? Absolutely. So a a vintage ring,
1: of course, there's a range for vintage as well, but that's definitely a path to explore um, and is of course of all the options, the most sustainable. So I think that's become important to a lot of my clients as well. So the number one best sustainable way, um, is to buy a ring that has been pre-loved. Uh, so I think that's absolutely something to consider. Uh, a colored gemstone is going to, you know, most of the time be more affordable than a traditional white diamond. Uh, as I mentioned, a lab grown diamond is also going to be more affordable than a natural mine diamond. Um, moist night, um, a diamond alternative, which you named is another great option. Um, there are, uh, just a lot of, a lot of different options.
0: Right. So don't be, don't be sad or dismayed if you don't have a big budget. There are lots of ways to still get a gorgeous drink. And I think the beauty is that. A lot of times we can feel, you know, I talk a lot about shame around money because there's a lots of ways we feel shameful. And so I think sometimes you could feel shameful if you're not spending a certain amount on the ring or you know you're buying something that is, you know, an alternative that isn't an actual diamond. But the beauty of it is nobody else has to know that information. And nobody else probably would, you know. And I, I but people don't walk around asking how much money did you spend on your engagement ring. Like that isn't a socially acceptable thing. So, I think you know, it's it's great if you can find a way. I mean, I talk about relationship with money all the time, and that's a great way to work on your relationship with money. To find something that's in your budget that you you both like. And and let go of all the stigma and the shame around it being you know a certain thing or having to be a certain amount of money that you spend on the ring.
1: Absolutely, I, you know as we've as we've both said, there's so many different ways to do it, and I think as as long as you're both communicating together, then then that's a really you know powerful place to start.
0: So you've been able to craft this this career around you know helping other people you know get engaged, go through this you know pre proposal process. And as you say, you like to do it with as little stress and as humanely as possible. I love that that combination. What sparked your interest in and in getting involved in this this work? So I started my fine jewelry
1: concierge about six years ago, and prior to that, I was a management consultant. So um, I did not come through uh, the traditional uh, jewelry path. Um, in fact, I work with a lot of talented people in the diamond district in New York City. Um, and the, the majority of people you, you work with are going to be third or fourth generation. So they think you're absolutely nuts to be entering, uh, the industry, <laughs> but I've always loved jewelry. Uh, the business before I got, um, so focused on engagement rings was really focused on, um, sourcing really special gifts because I believe a piece of jewelry is one of the most meaningful gifts you could give someone. But if you get it wrong, it can be so crushing, uh, for both the person receiving and the person giving. Um, and so I wanted to offer a way for people to feel like they couldn't get it wrong. Um, and my love of jewelry really comes from my grandmother, who was, uh, far and away the, the most thoughtful gift giver, an incredibly elegant woman who, uh, loved things that were really well made. And, um, every kind of gift she gave you felt like a reflection of how of the very best that she saw in you. Um, And uh, so my love language is very much gift giving. And I wanted to sort of infuse that spirit in jewelry because I think sometimes uh, fine jewelry has a wrap of being shallow or unimportant, but when done thoughtfully, I think it can just be so special.
0: I love that story of your grandma. I think about um, my grandmas and I didn't, uh, my dad's mom passed away when I was very little. I think Two and a half, maybe three. So I, I really don't have any memory of her. But she loved, um she loved collecting jewelry and just all types of jewelry, everything from, you know, fancy jewelry down to just, you know, kind of tchotchke jewelry. And when she passed away, she left her jewelry collection to my aunt, which her daughter. And then when my aunt passed away, she left the jewelry collection to my mom and myself. And it was really cool to be able to Kind of, I don't know, like feel her through the jewelry or to to like see her personality kind of come through because I didn't really, you know, know her that well through jewelry. And I think that's what you're saying. Like that's why you love what you do because it's not just something you, you know, slap on your finger or, you know, you wear around your neck. These, these gifts can actually have like this, this real sort of meaning behind it. And it's like you could feel the person that has you know gifted you this this particular item. Yes, to think that her
1: collection she enjoyed and then has been passed down now several times is so powerful and I you know I find pe- people's taste in jewelry so interesting because your taste in jewelry is not necessarily a one doesn't have a one-to-one correlation with your taste in fashion. Um it's informed by like a lot of other things and so to to really go through someone's jewelry box is is a very intimate thing um, and a very personal thing. And it's so cool to think, um, that, you know, her collection has been passed down in that
0: way. So I've got to ask, cause we're talking about proposals. Did you have a unique proposal story or, or anything, you know, that interesting, did you get what you want? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I got engaged, I guess, eight years ago at this
1: point, and I entered the jewelry business about 18 months later. So wow. I had no idea, um, what was going on through that process. Um, Clay and My husband, Clay, and I, we went into the Diamond District. This is before I had all of these partners on 47th Street. Uh, we were both so nervous because uh, if you've ever been to the Diamond District in Manhattan, it moves quickly. A lot of people are yelling at you, uh, are you buying? Are you selling? What are you looking for? Um, I remember actually being so nervous that I dropped a loose diamond on the ground, uh, which I, as a jeweler myself now, I'm just horrified thinking about. But in the spirit of honesty, I, I do love that story. Um, and we tried on a few different things. I pointed, gave him a few hints and told him what I really, really didn't want and then told him to, to go off and and do his best. And so, um, my ring is, is so special to me. And, um, my husband, Clay, I, you know, he has more of a traditional finance job and for him, it was really an opportunity to, Um, kind of be creative and design something really special. So, uh, he actually took a lot of pleasure in the sort of design process. Um, whereas other people find it very stressful. So, uh, you know, to each, to each their own. But, um, my ring is so special to me. And, um, it just reminds me of, uh, so you, so you went
0: to the, the jewelry district there. You were overwhelmed. And then you told him, like, okay, now it's your turn. Like, you go back, you figure it all out. (laughs) Yes. Here are the keys. I'm sure when you got <laughs> in the jewelry business later, he was like, oh, my gosh, like this information would have been very helpful in the process.
1: Exactly. It was kind of shortly thereafter that um, that I uh, dove headfirst into uh, the jewelry space, uh, building relationships in the Diamond District. Um, so I, I think about that often. Kind of my first trip there was uh, for my own engagement ring uh, sort of scouting and um There are a million things I would have done differently, but I kind of love that that was our story. Is
0: that something you would suggest for people? You know, I used to live in Los Angeles and they had a huge diamond district, a lot like New York. Do you suggest people to like go down there? I mean, can they get a better deal or is that just like such an overwhelming process?
1: I think you have to ask yourself what the goal of the day is for your first time out. I would much. Rather see you go to a local jewelry store. It's going to be a little friendlier, a little bit slower paced. They might take a little bit more pleasure in explaining what it is you're looking at and educating you a little bit. Um, the Diamond District is absolutely fantastic, and there's some really talented, really honest people there. But it is best to go to the Diamond District if you know what you want, you know what you're willing to spend, and you're well, and you're sort of ready to transact.
0: All right, so you've got this amazing proposal prep box. And I'm wondering, you know, as we close out here, if you were to put together just a, a couple of things that you want us to think about, like the ultimate proposal prep kind of checklist for us, what like, what would be on it? What are the things we absolutely have to remember in this process?
1: Uh, I guess the first thing would be setting aside just a an hour, one evening and talking through any of your anxieties, what's on both of your minds, um in an ideal world what your both of your timelines would be and kind of setting the table together, I think would be my very first step. Um it's not for everybody, but if you're open to it, my best piece of advice in terms of truly figuring out what type of engagement you want, the best thing you can do is go to a jewelry store and, and see things on your own hand. Uh when I think about my clients on the concierge side, uh 9 times out of 10 after going to a store to try things on, uh, people change their minds even just a little bit, um, whether it be the sidestones, the way the, the prongs are set. Um, even, even if you have a very strong idea of what you want, there's no substitute for seeing something on your hand. So that would probably be the, the second major step. Um, the third major step, you know, thinking so much about our conversation today would be to remind yourself to really enjoy it. This is supposed to be a joyful time, Um, and you can kind of pave your own way. So do not at all forget to kind of stop and and smell the roses. Um, and the last thing I would do is think really long and hard about the jeweler that you want to work with because a reputable jeweler will coach you through the entire process. They'll provide you incredible counsel, um, and really feel like a a partner in, in the process for you. Um, I think oftentimes people can be a little hesitant to share what their true budget is with their jeweler. So they'll hedge and say it's several thousand dollars less. But if you trust the person that you're working with, the best thing you can do is be honest because I know some people who... Um, maybe that the top of your budget is X dollars, but they might show you something just over that, but they're willing to take a little bit of a haircut because they really like you. So um, if you trust your jeweler and can really think of them as a partner, um, the process becomes you know so different.
0: This was a fun episode for me. I think like Kat, I'm a little bit of a hopeless romantic myself. And I just love all the information that she shared. I think especially these questions about what to ask your future spouse are so important. And I I often suggest that when people are coming to me for a money session and they're getting ready to get engaged or to get married, to be able to ask your partner some vulnerable questions about this whole process, about what's important to them, about money stuff, about life stuff, all of this goes a long way. And I think it's just another form of intimacy that you can have in your relationship and We don't ask the questions because sometimes I think we don't want to know the answers or we're afraid what the answers are. Like if my future spouse tells me that they want a different vision of life or they don't want to spend money on something that I want to spend money on, then that automatically creates a place of conflict and that feels scary. But it's, it's more important to ask these questions and to have the knowledge and to remember to try to keep a safe space and a place where you and your partner feel like they can share all sorts of things, even about these dynamics around engagement. Do we have to do the rules of engagement? Can we make this our own? What do we want? Like, let go of those kind of Disney fairy tale uh, illusions around engagement in this whole process and money and, and all of it, and find something that truly works for the both of you. If you want to find out more about Cat. You can go to ProposalPrep.com. I will link that in the show notes, as well as Best Kept Jewelry Concierge. I'll have all that in the show notes. You can pop over and connect with her and ask any additional questions that you're just dying to know. If you enjoyed this episode, again, make sure you're on our email club list. You can go to etmpod.link slash email club. And please do me a favor, share this episode, head on over, leave a review, and give our sponsors some love as well. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode.